Shane by Jack Schaefer, Chapter 13 I do not know how long they would have stood there on the porch in the warmth of that moment. I shattered it by asking what seemed to me a simple question, until after I had asked it, and the significance hit me. Father, what are you going to tell Fletcher tonight? There was no answer. There was no need for one. I guess I was growing up. I knew what he would tell Fletcher. I knew what he would say. I knew, too, that because he was father, he would have to go to Grafton's and say it. And I understood why they could no longer bear to look at one another, and the breeze blowing in from the sun-washed fields was suddenly so chill and cheerless. They did not look at each other. They did not say a word to each other. Yet somehow I realized that they were closer together in the stillness there on the porch than they had ever been. They knew themselves, and each of them knew that the other grasped the situation whole. They knew that Fletcher had dealt himself a winning hand, had caught Father in the one play that he could not avoid, because he would not avoid it. They knew that talk is meaningless when a common knowledge is already there. The silence bound them as no words ever could. Father sat on the top porch step. He took out his pipe and drew on it as the match flamed, and fixed his eyes on the horizon, on the mountains far across the river. Shane took the chair I had used for the games with Mother. He swung it to the house wall and bent into it in that familiar unconscious gesture, and he too looked into the distance. Mother turned into the kitchen and went about clearing the table as if she was not really aware of what she was doing. I helped her with the dishes, and the old joy of sharing with her in the work was gone, and there was no sound in the kitchen except the drip of the water and the chink of dish on dish. When we were done, she went to father. She sat beside him on the step, her hand on the wood between them, and his covered hers, and the moments merged in the slow, dwindling procession of time. Loneliness gripped me. I wandered through the house, finding nothing there to do, and out on the porch and past those three and to the barn. I searched around and found an old shovel handle and started to whittle me a play saber with my knife. I had been thinking of this for days. Now the idea held no interest. The wood curls dropped to the barn floor, and after a while I let the shovel handle drop among them. Everything that had happened before seemed far off, almost like another existence. All that mattered was the length of the shadows creeping across the yard as the sun drove down the afternoon sky. I took a hoe and went into Mother's garden where the ground was caked around the turnips, the only things left unharvested. But there was scant work in me. I kept at it for a couple of rows, then the hoe dropped and I let it lie. I went to the front of the house, and there they were sitting, just as before. I sat on the step below father and mother, between them, and their legs on each side of me made it seem better. I felt father's hand on my head. This is kind of tough on you, Bob. He could talk to me because I was only a kid. He was really talking to himself. I can't see the full finish, but I can see this. Wilson down, and there'll be an end to it. Fletcher'll be done. The town will see to that. I can't beat Wilson on the draw, 
but there's strength enough in this clumsy body of mine to keep me on my feet till I get him, too. Mother stirred and was still, and his voice went on. Things could be worse. It helps a man to know that if anything happens to him, his family will be in better hands than his own. There was a sharp sound behind us on the porch. Shane had risen so swiftly that his chair had knocked against the wall. His hands were clenched tightly, and his arms were quivering. His face was pale with the effort shaking him. He was desperate with an inner torment, his eyes tortured by thoughts that he could not escape, and the marks were obvious on him, and he did not care. He strode to the steps, down past us, and around the corner of the house. Mother was up and after him, running headlong. She stopped abruptly at the house corner, clutching at the wood, panting and irresolute. Slowly she came back, her hands outstretched, as if to keep from falling. She sank again on the step, close against father, and he gathered her to him with one great arm. The silence spread and filled the whole valley, and the shadows crept across the yard. They touched the road and began to merge in the deeper shading that meant the sun was dipping below the mountains, far behind the house. Mother straightened, and as she stood up, father rose too. He took hold of her two arms and held her in front of him. "'I'm counting on you, Marion, to help him win again. You can do it, if anyone can.' He smiled a strange little sad smile, and he loomed up there above me, the biggest man in all the world. "'No supper for me now, Marion. A cup of your coffee is all I want.' They passed through the doorway together. Where was Shane? I hurried toward the barn. I was almost to it when I saw him out by the pasture. He was staring over it and the grazing steers at the great lonely mountains tipped with the gold of the sun now rushing down behind them. As I watched, he stretched his arms up, the fingers reaching to their utmost limits, grasping and grasping, it seemed, at the glory glowing in the sky. He whirled and came straight back, striding with long, steady steps, his head held high. There was some subtle, new, unchangeable certainty in him. He came close, and I saw that his face was quiet and untroubled, and that little lights danced in his eyes. Skip into the house, Bobby boy. Put on a smile. Everything is going to be all right. He was past me, without slowing, swinging into the barn. But I could not go into the house, and I did not dare follow him, not after he had told me to go. A wild excitement was building up in me while I waited by the porch, watching the barn door. The minutes ticked past, and the twilight deepened, and a patch of light sprang from the house as the lamp in the kitchen was lit. And still I waited. Then he was coming swiftly toward me, and I stared and stared and broke and ran into the house with the blood pounding in my head. Father! Father! Shane's got his gun! He was close back of me. Father and mother barely had time to look up from the table before he was framed in the doorway. He was dressed as he was that first day when he rode into our lives. 
in that dark and worn magnificence, from the black hat with its wide curling brim to the soft black boots. But what caught your eye was the single flash of white, the outer ivory plate on the grip of the gun, showing sharp and distinct against the dark material of the trousers. The tooled cartridge belt nestled around him, riding above the hip on the left, sweeping down on the right to hold the holster snug along the thigh, just as he had said. The gun handle about halfway between the wrist and the elbow of his right arm, hanging there, relaxed and ready. Belt and holster and gun. These were not things he was wearing or carrying. They were part of him, part of the man, of the full sum of the integrate force that was Shane. You could see now that for the first time, this man who had been living with us, who was one of us, was complete, was himself in the final effect of his being. Now that he was no longer in his crude work clothes, he seemed again slender, almost slight, as he did that first day. The change was more than that. What had been seeming iron was again steel. The slenderness was that of a tempered blade, and a razor edge was there. Slim and dark in the doorway, he seemed somehow to fill the whole frame. This was not our Shane, and yet it was. I remembered Ed Howell saying that this was the most dangerous man he had ever seen. I remembered in the same rush that Father had said he was the safest man we ever had in our house. I realized that both were right, and that this, this at last, was Shane. He was in the room now, and he was speaking to them both in that bantering tone he used to have only for Mother. A fine pair of parents you are. Haven't even fed Bob yet. Stack him full of a good supper. Yourselves, too. I have a little business to tend to in town. Father was looking fixedly at him. The sudden hope that had sprung in his face had as quickly gone. No, Shane. It won't do. Even your thinking of it is the finest thing any man ever did for me. But I won't let you. It's my stand. Fletcher's making his play against me. There's no dodging. It's my business. That's where you're wrong, Joe, Shane said gently. This is my business. My kind of business. I've had fun being a farmer. You've shown me new meaning in the word, and I'm proud that for a while maybe I qualified. But there are a few things a farmer can't handle. The strain of the long afternoon was telling on father. He pushed up from the table. Damn it, Shane, be sensible. Don't make it harder for me. You can't do this. Shane stepped near, to the side of the table, facing father across a corner. Easy does it, Joe. I'm making this my business. No, I won't let you. Suppose you do put Wilson out of the way. That won't finish anything. It'll only even the score and swing things back worse than ever. Think what it'll mean to you. And where will it leave me? I couldn't hold my head up around here any more. They'd say I ducked, and they'd be right. No, you can't do it, and that's that. No? Shane's voice was even more gentle, but it had a quiet, inflexible quality that had never been there before. There's no man living can tell me what I can't do. Not even you, Joe. You forget. 
there's still a way. He was talking to hold father's attention. As he spoke, the gun was in his hand, and before father could move, he swung it, swift and sharp, so the barrel lined flush along the side of father's head, back of the temple, above the ear. Strength was in the blow, and it thudded dully on the bone, and father folded over the table, and as it tipped with his weight, slid toward the floor. Shane's arm was under him before he hit, and Shane pivoted father's loose body up and into his chair, and righted the table while the coffee cups rattled on the floorboards. Father's head lolled back, and Shane caught it and eased it and the big shoulders forward till they rested on the table, the face down and cradled in the limp arms. Shane stood erect and looked across the table at Mother. She had not moved since he appeared in the doorway, not even when Father fell and the table teetered under her hands on its edge. She was watching Shane, her throat curving in a lovely proud line, her eyes wide with a sweet warmth shining in them. Darkness had shut down over the valley as they looked at each other across the table, and the only light now was from the lamp swinging ever so slightly above them, circling them with its steady glow. They were alone in a moment that was all their own. Yet, when they spoke, it was a father. I was afraid, Shane murmured, that he would take it that way. He couldn't do otherwise and be Joe Starrett. I know. He'll rest easy and come out maybe a little groggy, but all right. Tell him, Marion. Tell him no man need be ashamed of being beat by Shane. The name sounded queer like that, the man speaking of himself. It was the closest he ever came to boasting. And then you understood that there was not the least hint of a boast. He was stating a fact, simple and elemental as the power that dwelled in him. I know, she said again. I don't need to tell him. He knows, too. She was rising, earnest and intent. But there's something else I must know. We have battered down words that might have been spoken between us, and that was as it should be. But I have a right to know now. I am part of this, too. And what I do depends on what you tell me now. Are you doing this just for me? Shane hesitated for a long, long moment. No, Marion. His gaze seemed to widen and encompass us all, mother and the still figure of father, and me huddled on a chair by the window, and somehow the room and the house and the whole place. Then he was looking only at mother, and she was all that he could see. No, Marion. Could I separate you in my mind, and afterwards be a man? He pulled his eyes from her, and stared into the night beyond the open door. His face hardened, his thoughts leaping to what lay ahead in town. So quiet and easy, you were scarce aware that he was moving. He was gone into the outer darkness.'